Listen to all of Weill Cornell Medicine's informative podcasts at weillcornell.org podcasts. Welcome to Weill Cornell Medicine CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm your host, Dr. John Leonard, and today we will be talking about CAR T-cell therapy. I'm really happy to have today's guest here today, my friend and colleague, David Maloney, Dr. David Maloney, who is the Medical Director of Cellular Immunotherapy at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Maloney's research interest is in the development of immunotherapies for lymphoma, myeloma, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, and acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL. Currently, Dr. Maloney's major interest is in the development of chimeric antigen receptor, or CAR T-cell therapy, and he's really been a, a leader in this field among many. So, David, thank you very much for joining us today. It's great to have you. John, it's a real pleasure to be here. Looking forward to uh, talking with you. So part of your research and, and that of others is to kind of engineer CAR T-cells to make them effective. But for for those who are uh, you know less familiar, what exactly is a CAR T-cell? Um, how is it different from just a standard T-cell that we have in our bodies? You know, what's done to it? And then I think it would be helpful to, to have you go through briefly kind of the experience for a patient uh, getting CAR T-cell, the idea of collecting T-cells, manipulating them, and giving them back. And just uh, in a nutshell, what is what is that like uh, for a patient in, a, in general terms? Yeah, so I think uh, you have to step back, I think, just a bit to just, you know, kind of look at how, how to, what, what is cellular immunotherapy? And that's, that's what this broad topic is. And there have been a couple uh, of areas that have been successful. One is called tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, where you actually take out a tumor biopsy and then uh, look in that tumor biopsy for T cells in the patient that can kill the cancer. And this area of research uh, has been pioneered at, at the uh, National Cancer Institute. And uh, for example, you can take a melanoma uh, mass from a lymph node, isolate the T cells in there from that, and then grow those T cells, expand them in the lab on, in tissue culture, and then give them back to the patient. Now, only a minority, like a one in the, you know, one in a zillion, or just a minority of those T cells are actually against the tumor. <clears throat> but if you can grow them in the lab and expand them, then this has been associated with dramatic responses in some patients with some cancers. Unfortunately, it's relatively limited, and it's very difficult to find these T cells. And the way a normal T cell recognizes a cancer um, uh, is very complicated. It actually it has to do with the patient's own uh, HLA type or their essentially their, their blood typing um, to where the T cells have to recognize in the context of that, of that patient. So it's very difficult to export this uh, kind of technology with a T cell receptor that could work in against different cancers. So the way around that is to, instead of trying to find the the one in a million T cell that reacts with the cancer is to actually modify the normal T cells to express a receptor that will enable them to kill the target you want them to. And that's that's this whole uh, revolution in CAR T cell technology. Now, there's actually two ways you can do this. One is actually where you can put a T cell receptor against the known antigen into the T cells. But then again, that has a lot of 
a complication, and it only works if you're if you're going into a certain types of what's called the HLA uh, system, and that's very dependent on the patient's background, and again, gets gets quite complicated. The way of making it more universal is to use a car, and a car is uh, is a molecule that uh, combines an antibody with the portions of the T cell receptor and de- de- delivers uh, essentially an artificial signal uh, to the T cell that can uh, cause it to then kill whatever it binds to, and it also then causes that T cell to grow and divide. So how do we actually do this? Well, it's the process is is both complicated and and somewhat simple. Uh, the uh, the process first starts with a with a patient uh, having their normal T cells collected by a process called leukapheresis or apheresis, and this is where it's commonly uh, a process commonly used when people are donating uh, platelets, for example, and uh, patients have a uh, catheter or IV put in, for example in each arm, and blood runs out of the one arm through this machine and then back into the other arm. And, and this machine takes off a very small uh, per, uh, percentage of the cells that contain your uh, that contain the T cells. So the process is kind of like being on dialysis, but it's it's only for a one time, uh, three, uh, two or three hours uh, generally. And it's, it's pretty uh, a boring uh, procedure, frankly. Uh, patients tolerate it uh, quite well, relatively uh, few risks. And it's the same way we would collect uh, stem cells, for, from example, for donors or before other types of transplants, except we don't need to give any mobilization to get those cells. So these cells are then collected and they're taken to a lab. And in this lab, they may be purified into different types of T cells or, or not, but, but those T cells are then genetically engineered uh, to express this receptor. And this is generally done by using a virus. And the virus has a gene in it called the CAR, and which is a combination of these uh, proteins. And when the virus infects the cell, uh, it's, it's essentially a one-way infection, and this modifies the T cell to now express uh, the CAR. And so all the T cells that express the CAR now will be able to kill the targets you're asking them to kill, and they don't kill. Uh, they won't kill generally anything else. So we're essentially redirecting your normal T cells to now go after the target we have uh, chosen. And so, so far, the, the bulk of the data has been with a target called CD19, uh, which is on most B cell malignancies. But it can also, uh, other targets can be used, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, a bit later. Um, so once these T cells are grown in the lab, and that process takes about two weeks, uh, the patient usually receives a cycle of chemotherapy. And we call that lymphodepleting chemotherapy. And what it's really doing is just making some space for the T cells to grow. And then the T cells are in, infused through an IV in about a 30-minute infusion. And there's usually no symptoms or uh, many, many few symptoms associated with the actual infusion and, uh, uh, of the cells. But unlike any other kind of treatment, this is really a living therapy. And these cells then uh, hopefully will start to grow and divide. And when they do that, uh, they will increase in number. Uh, the estimates are that they can double every 12 to 24 hours. So if you think about it, then after two or three days, you have 10 times more than you started. Another couple of days, and you're now at 100 times uh, uh, started. you started. So essentially, there's an exponential uh, growth of these cells. 
And as they're uh, recognizing the tumor antigen, they'll, they should uh, try to kill that tumor, hopefully, and then they also will grow and divide. And so it's a living therapy uh, where we're putting in a very small number of cells, and they're actually growing and expanding in the patient, kind of like a normal T cell would, uh, as they're reacting and trying to kill uh, the tumor. And then when the tumor has essentially uh, hopefully been uh, eliminated and the target uh, uh, is gone, then those T cells will slow down and contract back uh, to a low level, uh, which is similar to what would happen in a normal immune response. So this whole process of monitoring the patient after the cells are uh, given uh, uh, takes about uh, one to uh, four weeks. And usually around four weeks, uh, uh, patients are recovering and are, are, are going home. We can talk about toxicities in, in, in a minute, but that's the typical uh, overall process. So, so this sounds uh, uh, really great, and and as people know, uh, you know, like anything, it's a it's a double-edged sword. But for right now, um, clearly there are patients who have deve- developed uh, or demonstrated some clear benefit when they receive CAR T cells. So, what are we'll get in the future in a few minutes? But what are the standard? Uh, uh, indications for CAR T cells. I know it's primarily uh, lymphoma and acute lymphocytic leukemia, but what is what patient populations so far seem to have benefited from this? And I think, um, and and so, and also the side effects uh, that you alluded to. If you can give us a, a brief sense of that. Well, right now we actually have uh, uh, three indications uh, uh, for CAR T cells. Uh, two different uh, two different products. Uh, the first. Uh, Product approved as Tizogen Leclusol or Kimraya, and that uh, was approved for pediatric and young adult acute lymphoma or ALL. Um, the, uh, the this goes up to the age of 26, uh, and so the uh, this this has really been approved in patients who have exhausted most other uh, treatment options and are beyond their uh, second remission or have refractory disease. Uh, this this uh, drug got approved based on uh, re- pretty astounding results uh, in this pediatric young adult population, where you know the where the majority of patients will have a remission uh, in the first uh, one to two months after treatment. But what we've now learned uh, is that not everyone stays in remission, and there's certainly uh, there certainly is a risk of relapse, and we can talk about those causes again in a bit. But this was really an astounding result in uh, this patient population, many of whom had already failed uh, an allogeneic bone marrow transplant and really had no uh, reasonable options for uh, anything to cause a significant uh, tumor response. So that was the first the first approved drug. Now, subsequent to that, uh, uh, a drug called axicaptogene cellulosal or Yascarta uh, was approved for the treatment of adults with aggressive lymphomas, such as diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And this is in patients who have failed at least two prior uh, regimens of therapy. And that's, that's a population where uh, often, including uh, transplant, uh, once that has failed, there aren't great options for uh, treatments that can have a potential cure. And the data with that uh, drug suggests about 40% of patients have long-term uh, remissions at least now more than more than a year to a year and a half, and it looks very encouraging that that some of those patients uh, might be cured. So that's really the excitement that that uh, uh, 
led this field to rapidly explode. And it's absolutely amazing that uh, both of these drugs were approved uh, relatively within you know, a few years of beginning uh, their pivotal uh, trials. Subsequent to this last one being approved, uh, uh, Yaskarta being approved, the first one, Kimraya, is also now approved for that same general population of uh, relapsed aggressive lymphomas. Um, now, uh, your question about side effects, there's two uh, main side effects that have emerged in this field. The first is called cytokine release syndrome, or CRS, and that's where essentially the T cells are, in the, when, when they're proliferating, uh, they're, they're uh, either inducing the body to make uh, inflammatory proteins called cytokines, and uh, these, these cytokines can uh, go to very high levels. And they're associated with uh, a, a variety of symptoms. The most common symptom is high fever, but then that can lead uh, to all kinds of other uh, issues, including uh, problems uh, uh, with uh, blood uh, proteins that control uh, the clotting of the blood. Uh, it can lead to uh, other associated symptoms of low blood pressure and uh so patients are essentially feeling like they have the worst case of the flu they've ever ever had. And so um, it's similar to the type of immune response that your immune system would go after fighting an infection, only in this case, your immune system is uh, fighting your cancer. And so cytokine release syndrome can happen anywhere from a few hours after the T cells are given uh, to as long as maybe two to two and a half weeks after the T cells <clears throat> have been growing. In the person, in, in the patient, and they're really uh, uh, typically this occurs around four to five days after uh, the the CAR, the CAR T cells have been uh, given, and it usually lasts uh, two to uh, uh, seven or eight days. Um, in in most uh, cases, this is 100% uh, reversible. Uh, we do have some new drugs uh, that can block some of these cytokines. Uh, one called tocilizumab can block IL-6, and that can often uh, dramatically improve the, the symptoms of fever and low blood pressure. But some patients can get uh, very ill from this and end up in, uh, in critical care and in an ICU, and very rarely patients can die from uh, complications of cytokine release syndrome. But fortunately, this is not a real common uh, occurrence, uh, but it, it, it is definitely a risk. Now, the second toxicity uh, that is even uh, more difficult to understand, uh, again, CRS, we think, is related to the proliferation of the CAR T cells, but the second toxicity is a neurologic toxicity. And this is one we don't completely understand uh, what, what the exact cause uh, is. It is definitely associated in most cases with patients who have had some cytokine release syndrome, but then it's characterized by uh, patients developing an inability to uh, speak or talk or uh, uh, comprehend, and often this can uh, this can uh, pro progress to a, a very frightening uh, constellation where people look like they've either had a stroke or almost even be in a coma. And in very very rare cases, patients can uh, again die from uh, complications of this, such as a, a brain swelling or cerebral edema. Again, ninety plus. 95-plus percent of patients completely recover uh, from this, but it is definitely frightening both for, uh, for the patients and for caregivers and for physicians alike. This 
neurologic toxicity doesn't happen to everyone. It happens in, in up to 30% of uh, patients, for example, with Yaskarta, uh, and and generally occurs after uh, the the peak of the cytokine release syndrome, uh, and often uh, four to five days later. It usually lasts a few days, and uh, we generally treat it uh, with uh, drugs like uh, corticosteroids or uh, dexamethasone. Uh, we're not absolutely certain if that's uh, beneficial or not, uh, but uh, that's what the, where, the direction that the field has uh, gone. And again, in almost all cases, this is completely uh, reversible, but again, it can be quite dramatic. So those are the two major toxicities. Uh, in most cases, these uh, occur in the first few days after CAR T cells and are uh, pretty much over by a couple of weeks after CAR T cells are uh, have been administered. But in some cases, if it's severe toxicity, then obviously that can drag out a longer, and, and it can be, a, uh, as I said, life-threatening. So, David, there there's a lot of work going on, and I know you're you're participating in, in much of it in trying to, uh, you know, make the next versions of CAR T-cells or CAR T-cell therapy, i.e., uh, either add drugs to CAR T-cells or re-engineer the CAR T-cells to potentially either be more effective or, or less toxic. What are two of the three of the key, um, you know, maneuvers or manipulations that uh, you think, you know, have some promise? And obviously this is a work of research, but may, you know, in the coming years be a, a newer way of delivering or administering CAR T cells? Yeah. So the, uh, that's a great question, John. Obviously the field uh, is, is both new and trying to move forward all at the same time which is obviously complicated because once you go through all the work to get one of these processes approved and, then, and you're already trying to figure out how to make changes, it leads to a lot of questions about how to get these kinds of processes approved through the regulatory system. But right now, uh, the two products that have been approved are just taking whatever T cells they can isolate from a patient and give them uh, back to the patient after they've been modified to express the CAR. A slightly different approach has been taken by our group here in Seattle and by uh, uh, Juno Therapeutics, who's recently uh, been purchased by Celgene. But our approach in, in that uh, compound is to actually believe that not all T cells are the same. And we actually make two different CAR T cells. We make one from a, a type of a T cell called a helper T cell and one called a, a killer T cell or a CD8 cell, so CD4 and CD8 cells. And we uh, make two CAR T cells and then give them back in an equal mixture. And by doing this, we we believe we give a much more uniform CAR T cell product. And because of that, we've been able to see a better dose toxicity and dose response relationship. So the approach we've done in Seattle appears to be uh, even safer than um, than some of the data that's been presented with the uh, the currently two approved products. And we're certainly hoping that um, this will move forward through the regulatory channels in the next year or so, and and yet uh, be another approach that could be uh, FDA approved and would potentially have uh, uh, a better safety profile. So that's one option. You can just actually ge genetically engineer a different population of T cells. The second way to do it, as you mentioned, is come up with a different uh, car. I mean, just make a different receptor. And there are such things as armored cars and uh, lots of uh, spiffy uh, names where you can actually put a on-off switch into the CAR T cells where if they get out of hand or cause too much toxicity, you can actually give a drug that will uh, uh, stop them or suppress them. 
another option is to make them have them make their own growth factors so that they they don't uh, rely on external uh, signals as much. And then uh, a third way of doing it is to actually do combinations, as you implied. So maybe we don't we maybe we need to do more than just CAR T cells. And one approach is to give a checkpoint inhibitor antibody. Uh, we we know that some CAR T cells just run out of gas. There's either too much tumor and they can't multiply and divide enough to be able to kill all that tumor. And, uh, and we think the tumors are actually giving signals to slow those uh, T cells down or tell them, don't kill me, to give them that kind of a signal. And, and by giving an antibody, there might be a way, such as the checkpoint inhibitor antibody of PD-1 or PDL one you might be able to revive the, T, the CAR T cells. And there have been a few anecdotal reports in the literature, and there are several ongoing trials, both uh, KITE has one and uh, we have one here as well. So that, those are a few examples of what I think are the most promising, promising things going forward. So, so as we uh, uh, kind of wrap up our discussion uh, here soon, I want to get you to put pull out your crystal ball. And you've been at the forefront of a lot of different advances in cancer therapy, lymphoma therapy. Um, you know, what is what do you think? How do you think this is going to evolve over the next? Uh, you know, five years or so from the standpoint of, you know, right now, the indications within acute uh, lymphocytic leukemia and aggressive lymphoma are really for a relatively small population of patients who've been through other treatments. Do you think that we will be using these earlier in the course of the disease in the near future? And and also, if you could touch on your thoughts on solid tumors. I know there's a lot of uh, CAR T-cell work going on in myeloma, which seems very promising. But what about other areas outside of uh, lymphoid malignancies? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a ton of questions. But the I think there are a few points I think we need to keep in mind. First, uh, this is a custom product for each patient. And so there's a lot of logistic issues to being able to make a product for every patient. That there's a lot of manufacturing problems that the, the companies if they're going to do this, they need to make this reliably. They make, need to make it in a timely fashion so the patients can have access. Uh, many of these patients are too sick to even hardly wait, and so so that needs to be uh, fixed. There have been uh, attempts to consider making universal CAR T cells where you wouldn't have to use the patient's own cells, and I personally think that's going to be a problem uh, to be really be able to successfully do that, but some people are focusing a lot of effort into that arena. Um, uh, once we have CAR T cells, uh, we need to figure out, well, why do they not always work? Um, in leukemia, we, we're getting about 85 to 90 percent of people in remission, but some people don't go into remission. So why does it not work in that setting? So we need to improve that. In addition, some people relapse. And in some cases, they relapse because they don't have the target anymore. The tumor is genetically lost the target. It's called antigen negative escape. So these tumors become essentially, in this case, CD19 negative. And so the only way to really uh, probably attack that is to give more than one car at the same at the same time, targeting another antigen, just like you would if you were treating a really serious infection. You wouldn't give just a single antibiotic because the the uh, infection would essentially escape. So so those are a couple things uh, going forward. I envision that this is going to get a lot simpler in the future. Um, I mean, I could see certainly how you could uh, get a diagnosis, come in have a, a, a few tubes of blood drawn. Those could be manufactured into a car very quickly, and then within a day or two, you could get that back um, uh, uh, potentially. So I think the future is extremely bright for uh, for the hematologic malignancies. But the holy grail is really, is this going to work outside of the hematologic malignancies? 
And as you said, we're already seeing um, really interesting success in multiple myeloma, another uh, essentially incurable disease where I think we're making really great progress with CAR T cells. But what about the other cancers, breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer? These are the common solid cancers. And there we haven't had as much success. And what seems to be uh, true is that uh, the tumors are expressing a much more immunosuppressive environment. And the tumors are making it much harder for the T cells to either get in there or to even actually be able to kill uh, the, the tumor cells. In animal models, we've been pretty successful in being able to make the CAR T cells work against these breast cancer lines. But in patients, it's been a little more of a challenge. And I suspect we'll need combinations of uh, checkpoint inhibitor antibodies and CARs and maybe combinations of CARs. But I'm really optimistic about this, John. I think this is the most exciting thing I've done, and I feel very, very fortunate to be involved in the field. Well, that's a really, really a great summary. I think, um, you know, if you could just leave us with kind of one message for patients or patients listening to us that say, you know, this sounds potentially interesting. Um, let's say somebody, you know, dealing with recurrent aggressive lymphoma where this might be uh, an option that could be considered by them. What's kind of your advice to a patient who's thinking about this? What if they make a decision to pursue this? Uh, any any kind of words of wisdom, or you know, just go do it and go from there. Or what? How would you help people kind of think think about these issues? Yeah, I think there's a there's a number of issues that I've I've come across. So that, you know, you have to think that this is essentially like going for a transplant. It's it's not a transplant, but it's it is a it is a complicated procedure. So I, so it does require a bunch of logistic issues from a patient. The patient has to be uh, pretty much. Um, you know, mindful that they need to look, maybe relocate to another uh, place. These all of these CAR T cells are being given under a very restricted access program by the FDA. So there's only about 40 centers in the nation that can do each of these CAR T cells, and so often this does require traveling to an institution where this can be done. And then that obviously means you have to come up with housing and an ability to do this. Many of these treatments do require some stay in the hospital, uh, but some can be done uh, increasingly as an outpatient with just uh, checks in the hospital and, or checks into a clinic on a daily basis or then admission to the hospital if there's complications. So I think you need to, patients do need to uh, ask their doctors about this if they're in a, they have a type of disease and then to, uh, you know, find out where the nearest center is. Uh, all of these things are on the web. And you can find out nearest centers that has experience and and call those centers up and, and, and come for a consultation and evaluation. In addition, we have many other uh, studies that are still in clinical trials. So uh, patients can always call uh, the various centers and find out about their clinical trials. We have a, a very active intake group here in Seattle at, at the Fred Hutch and at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and a very experienced team that can walk people through uh, clinical trial options if they're, if the commercial cars aren't uh, available for their disease. Well, thank you, David. And uh, yes, I, I, uh, I know that you have a number of different studies and options for patients and, and clinical trials. And I'll just throw in our, uh, our pitch for our audience that there are a number of trials, including CAR T-cells available here at Wild Cornell. And uh, certainly uh, both of our centers are very excited and available to help patients sort through their options. And uh, obviously, these are not decisions that one makes uh, kind of in a vacuum or by hearing a podcast or reading a video, but they're really uh, watching a video, but really 
you know, kind of complicated things that uh, you really have to individualize to the to the situation. But uh, it's really great uh, that this work is progressing, and and I expect will continue to progress and and hopefully continue to improve outcomes for patients. So thank you very much, uh, David. It's been been really great to have you here, and maybe before long we'll have you back. Uh, uh, to talk more about this because it's a very complicated area and, uh, you know, much more happening in the future. I'd like to uh, invite the audience as we wrap up. Uh, feel free to write to us at cancercast at med.cornell.edu with questions, comments, and topics you'd like to see us cover more in depth in the future. That's all for CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm Dr. John Leonard. Thanks for tuning in. If you or a loved one is undergoing cancer treatment, rehabilitation medicine can help with recovery and ease painful side effects. Listen to Back to Health, Wild Cornell Medicine's podcast series dedicated to rehabilitative medicine to learn more about the ways psychiatrists can help. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of while Cornell Medicine as an institution.